0: Well, good morning again to all of you. It's lovely to see your faces. Hi, uh, to those of you joining us online, we're glad you're with us as well. Uh, we've had three weeks on the Holy Spirit—a kind of brief uh, flyby overview. I've called them theological tapas. You're getting little sampler menus of what's going on. And I, as I come to the end of this mini series, I just recognize its inadequacy. Uh, that we, especially today as we look at at fruit and gifts, we could probably have about 29 sermons on what I'm covering today. And so um, it's a flyby, and you get to see and sample and taste, and um, hopefully there will be some vision and desire that comes out of this for you in the following weeks, and you can follow up with these things, and we can follow up as a church in the future, So, um, like I said, this is the final week. Week one, we talked about the Holy Spirit on Pentecost who descends from the Father, and then He indwells, takes up residence, and then He fills the space of our lives, and He seals us as God's people. He empowers us for holy living, and He empowers us for the mission of God. Those are the works of the Spirit that are begun at Pentecost. And last week, we talked about how to be filled with the Spirit, And there were, broadly speaking, three things to do. One of them is ask, ask for the Spirit. Another one is to remove blocks to the Spirit, blocks like our hands being full of our own power and blocks like sin that keeps us from being filled and blocks like bitterness that that is a holdout to the Spirit's work in us. And then the third thing we do is we thirst. We desire and thirst. And maybe all of today is about thirsting for a spirit as we talk about consequences of the spirit. And the consequences are that the spirit bears fruit and the spirit gives gifts. And we'll come to those things in a moment. So just as a brief kind of review, context setter, let's talk about this. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. We've covered this. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, you all listening, after hearing the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Simple mechanics. You hear the good news. You believe it. You add your assent to the good news of the gospel. And when that happens, God seals you with the spirit. Spirit comes in, takes residence. Every person who's believed in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Not everybody who has received Jesus has been filled with the Holy Spirit. You receive the deposit of the Spirit, but the filling is something different where you get renewed. And this is because every believer needs to be filled because we leak. And our leaking is not a bug, but a feature. You're designed to leak. You're supposed to spread the Spirit around with you. You're not meant to be a cistern who holds the Spirit. Uh, We also need to be filled again because we sin. We choose our way over God's way, and we need to be renewed all the time. And the Holy Spirit is the power that renews us. And as I said, the Holy Spirit has two significant consequences we're going to talk about today. One of them is that we bear fruit. And when I talked about those things the Spirit does, ascending and dwelling, filling, sealing, this is the empowering for holy living. We bear fruit by being empowered for holy living. There's a fancy theology word for it. It's called sanctification to be made sanctified, to be made holy. This is the Spirit's work in us. And in addition to this, we receive gifts, where God's Spirit dwelling in us gives us what we need to fulfill God's mission. He equips us with gifts for the service of the mission of God. Now, as I said, this really should be two or maybe 29 sermons. But in the spirit of the kind of series we're in, we're just going to cover the flyby on these things. And my hope is to give you vision, We're going to cover a lot of topics a little bit, but I hope is that you'll get a taste for what it is that God does and maybe desire more. The good news is that the two operations, the gifts and the fruit, do bind together nicely because we grow in the fruit of the Spirit when we live through the gifts. When we live and operate in service to God, that's one of the ways that the fruit of the Spirit grows in us as well, and I'll talk about this at the end. So let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit first. Let's begin with the fruit. And I would talk about this first consequence. So consequence number one of the Holy Spirit is this, the presence of the Spirit manifests in fruit. The presence of the Spirit in your life manifests in fruit. Fruit is the occurrence, the natural product and occurrence of what happens when the Holy Spirit is in you. Now I find, I think that's a phrase like saying, I want you to bear fruit sounds kind of funny and maybe a little odd and kind of archaic. But what the Bible is doing here is appealing to some standard horticultural imagery. Apple trees bear fruit. grapevines bear fruit. Wheat fields bear a kind of fruit. And in fact, this is not that hard for us to imagine since we live so close to the Okanagan and all the abundant fruit that's there. These things just bear fruit all around us. In the same way that a fruit tree bears fruit according to its type, so we as Christians ought to bear fruit according to our type. Something should be produced from your life. Now there's an important thing to note, and that's the apple tree is unself-conscious in its fruit bearing. It doesn't have to think about it. The apple tree doesn't have a council and say, okay, this year we're going to produce 50 apples, okay? It's the natural product. It doesn't choose its situation, doesn't choose how much water and soil it receives. If it's in the right conditions, it will automatically bear fruit. And in the same way, we are set to bear fruit. Spiritual fruit, therefore, is the natural byproduct of the Christian life. In the same way that apples are the natural byproduct of a well-situated apple tree, spiritual fruit is the natural byproduct of a well-situated Christian life. The apple tree bears fruit because that's what apple trees do, and we bear fruit because that's what we do. Not bearing fruit is anomalous. The absence of fruit is weird. Okay? So... It's just a natural byproduct of what we do. So what is this spiritual fruit business? What is it? Well, spiritual fruit, this is a complex sentence, but I'll go over it. Spiritual fruit is a manifestation of resurrection life in your character and conduct. Okay? Spiritual fruit is the manifestation. It's the appearance and the swelling and the abundance of the resurrection life of Jesus who came back from the dead, and it shows up in your character, the kind of person you are, and your conduct, the way you behave. That's spiritual fruit. Character and conduct showing off the resurrection life of God. And let's actually look now at the Scriptures. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. The words will be on the screen, uh, but I'll read them from my Bible. And here's what Paul writes, and I've read you the whole passage, but you'll know some of it will be familiar to you, I hope. But Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the Spirit, for, excuse me, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'll pause there for a second, and I wonder if Paul just pulled this list out of his head, or if he thought about the Galatian congregation and thought, yeah, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Um, so I wonder how how unpegged they felt by this. Okay, verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's a beautiful passage. It's lovely. Hopefully, you're familiar with it uh, sufficiently. Paul outlines two kinds of life, the life in the Spirit and the life in the flesh. The life in the flesh is that bad list of things. However, he came up with the list. Life in the Spirit is this lovely, beautiful list of nine things. Let's just look at Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 together now. Can we read this together as a church? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Quite likely. And in fact, um, if you are a Christian, a Christian apple tree in God's spirit-watered orchard, this is the list of stuff that you should be producing. This is what should be coming naturally out of your life, a life that's filled with God's Holy Spirit. Well, let's focus on these fruits for a minute because they divide into three kind of easy groupings. One of the groupings is the first, love, joy, and peace. The second grouping is patience, kindness, and goodness. The third grouping is faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are marked by color coding on the screen for you. Now, this is not hard and fast. This is an interpretation. So it's okay to disagree with me about this. But I think there's something helpful here. I think that love, joy, and peace are virtues or fruits of the Spirit that either come from God or are toward God. It's a, it's a supernatural love and a supernatural joy and a supernatural peace. It's, it's the well-being that comes from having our stuff sorted with the Almighty, and it's His work working in us manifesting towards other people. Um, and I think this is this first set, they're kind of divine. The second set, patience, kindness, and goodness, I think these are toward our neighbor. This is the stuff we really need to be living with one another. Uh, The word for patience is literally long-suffering, putting up with for a long time, um, which is a virtue most of us don't like. I warn you against praying for more patience, because if you do, the Lord is very likely to bring people who try your patience into your life. And then you may question, Jesus, why is this person in my life? And he will say, well, you asked for more patience. And this is how you get it. Long-suffering to put up with over a long time. This is something we need with people in community. Uh, Kindness. The word for kindness is actually quite complex. It could be translated goodness or uprightness or generosity. Um, There's a spirit of magnanimity and well-being, which I think we also need for living in community. And the word goodness means goodness, which is great. A goodness about people. A wholesomeness and uprightness. And these are things that we need for living in community. And the third set, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I kind of think that these focus on ourselves. We need a steadiness in our hearts, and that's the faithfulness of trusting in God day by day. The word gentleness is actually the same word as meekness from the Beatitudes, and it's a word that means that your sense of power has been surrendered to God's governance of your power. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under the control of God's dictates. And then, of course, self-control is this wonderful word about power um, in restraint as well, and we need self-control. So these are a lovely set of virtues, three sets of three gifts, which, in all honesty, we could spend nine sermons on. We could have one sermon on each of these gifts, and I think it would be each of these spirit fruits, and it would be lovely. But these are the flavors of the Christian life. Some of you, do you like ices? Like you get the shaved ice, and they pour that bright, like bright red fake cherry coloring on top of it, And then it turns your lips red, and it's delicious. Well, the Christian life is like an icy, but it's got nine colors spread throughout it. And it's magnificent, and it's appealing, and people should see it and go, where'd you get that? Right? And you're walking through the carnival or festival. It's exciting. It's appealing. I want to note a couple things that are missing from the gifts of the Spirit. Observe, nice is not a gift of the Spirit. It's not there. Uh, many of us have, have been taught, either explicitly or implicitly, that a key factor of being a Christian is being nice. It's not. Okay? Goodness, self-control, kindness, it's different. There's a lovely song lyric um, from Lisa and I know from a long time ago, and the song lyric ends, that nice is different than Good. And I think there's something very important for us to recognize that goodness and niceness are not the same thing. Another thing missing is good citizens. Nothing about being an upright citizen here, a good citizen and a contributor to society. Kingdom citizenship is in the background, uh, but your civic duties aren't necessarily in view here. So some challenges to us, I think. But what we get are nine divine characteristics that shape God's earthly community. We should look and... We should appear like this. So how are these going to manifest in your character and conduct? Well, people are going to notice. People should notice that you are different, that you have love and joy and peace from God the Father, and that you treat other people with patience and kindness and goodness, and that within yourself, you have self-control and a gentleness, a meekness about you. What's the last one? I skipped it. It's okay. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. I'm kidding. Okay. Now, they should notice these things because they have an off-gas. You guys know what off-gas is? It's the smell of something that, that, that escapes when it's new. Uh, Paul, in other passages, talks about this osme uodia, the fragrant offering. It's the smell of barbecue, right? So you're, it's summertime. You're walking outside. You smell barbecue, and you think, I want that, okay? Um, and that's how the Christian life should smell to people. You should have a smell. People should want to be like it. We've got new carpet in our, in our house right now. The new carpet, you know what it smells like? Smells like new carpet. (laughs) Now, there's coming a time inevitably when our kids and maybe we will spill things on it and there will be other smells. It'll smell like our food and our house. It won't smell new anymore. But how nice is it for things to smell new and fresh and people to walk in and say, wow, this is clean and new. And that's your life filled with the Spirit. People should notice because there's an off-gassing of the Holy Spirit to the world around you, okay? So, just encouraging you to do these things. The sanctified, in this sense, to be sanctified, to be made holy, is to be filled with the life of God so that God's life and characteristics shine through your life. You're a kind of vehicle through whom people get to experience and see God. That's how the fruits of the Spirit should be working in your life. A lovely example of this is um, from Derek Brewer, who is one of C.S. Lewis's students. He was, a Lewis was his tutor. And he writes this in a lovely little book called C.S. Lewis at the Breakfast Table, and this is is third-hand praise, it's not even second-hand praise, it's third-hand praise, but here's what he says. Brewer writes, a very eminent Cambridge scientist who had practically nothing in common with Lewis once remarked to me, Brewer, and it is one of the finest tributes to Lewis I have heard, that he met Lewis only once at some evening occasion and felt that he was a very good man to whom goodness did not come easily. Wow, he was a really good person, but he'd worked at it. It wasn't his native gift that was manifesting, it was someone else who put the goodness in him. And it was evident even after one meeting with a total stranger who had nothing in common. And guess what? That's what the Spirit wants to do with you. He wants his gifts to be manifest so that people look and say, wow, there's a very loving person to whom love does not come naturally. Wow, there's a very generous person to whom generosity does not come easily. Wonder what the source of that generosity is. And we have an answer, the Spirit of God living and working in me. This is part of our evangelistic witness. It's how we telegraph, remember, our availability for prayer. The fruits of the Spirit manifesting in our lives make us, mark us as people from whom the world can reach our God. And this means also that we as Christians are not known for the things we don't do, but are we known for the things we do do. We're not known by our don'ts. We do have don'ts, right? There are things that we don't do. The things we should be known by are this list of nine. That's the thing that people should know about us, okay? There are don'ts, but the do's should be more important. Okay, fruits of the Spirit should be nine sermons. You got it in about 15 minutes. Let's move on to the gifts of spirit, which should be 29 sermons, but you're going to get it in about 10 minutes. This is a great overview. The gifts of the spirit are a second consequence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that consequence is this. The filling spirit equips us with gifts. He equips us, and equipping is an important word here. When you received the Holy Spirit, you also received spiritual gifts. God planted something in you. He gave you I hate to say special abilities because we have too much marvel in our heads at the moment. Uh, We've got too many superhero stories and too too many people who want to be the hero of their own story, and so their idea of gifts makes them prideful. This is not what it's about. God has given you toolkits to serve one another. And so gifts are not for the super spiritual. Everybody in the church, everyone who believes in Jesus has spiritual gifts. Maybe a way to think about this is gifts that are like packaged chocolates versus a gift that's a toolkit, okay? Okay. Ivory. About once a year, I like I like to receive a box of chocolate-covered cherries. Once a year, I don't want my wife just made a face. She's like, "Oh, you do." I like. I usually buy them for myself because I am not a a a ready dessert eater. I like them. If someone asks me, "Would you like to share your chocolate-covered cherries?" The answer is no. These are my chocolate-covered cherries. I will eat all of them, not all at once, uh, probably over a six-month period, but I will take my time and eat (laughs) My wife, again, looking at me going, why do you keep desserts? Because I have restraint. Anyway, (laughs) so they're mine. I'm not sharing them. That's not how gifts are. We're not little golems holding on to our preciouses against what God wants us to do. It's more like you've received a toolkit, like maybe I've received a Robertson number 2 screwdriver. And Jay MacArthur calls me, and he's got a whole thing he needs to build that needs these little square screws to fit it in. And I realize, oh, I've got the tool, and he's got the need. The gifts are always tools to be used to help other people. That's how the gifts are supposed to work. The difference in attitude is the one of, I own this, it's mine, versus I get to use this. How much fun is it to use the tools that we've received or the gifts we've received? So through the Spirit, God equips His people with spiritual skills and abilities for the service and mission of the church. You've received things that advance God's mission in the world. And there's a principle behind this as well. It's one of the things I will probably say again and again, and it's simply this, that the hoarded blessing rots. The shared blessing is renewed. If God blesses you with something and you clutch it and hoard it to yourself, it will turn to ashes in your hand. If you give of it, God will give you more. This goes all the way back to the manna in the wilderness. You collected enough for the day. If you collected more, it turns maggoty. Okay? So you have to give out what God gives to you. Very briefly, I've got some rules for gifts, three rules for the gifts. We'll cover these pretty quickly. Rule number one is this. The gifts make Jesus look good. They're not here to make us look good. They're not here for us to be an attractional church where we get to show off our spiritual powers and flex them for the masses. No, the gifts come to make Jesus look good because the ministry of the Spirit is to exalt King Jesus. He convicts so that people will turn to Jesus, not to us, not for spiritual experiences. So the gifts always make Jesus look good. They have a function in fancy language of glorification. Second rule is this. The gifts are for service to one another. They're for service to one another. They're not for your private spiritual possessions. They're toolkits that you get to use. We just covered this in that whole illustration of the tools. And this is edification. The third rule is this. The gifts are for mission. They're for advancing the kingdom of God through us to where God wants to move on the North Shore. That's what the gifts are for. They're not for kind of in-house happiness. They're for sending us out So let's take a moment, let's talk about what the gifts are. And for this, I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is the most famous passage on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, Chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Let me read this for you now. Paul writes, he's speaking to the church in Corinth, where they have a lot of problems, they get a lot of the gifts mixed up. But here's some of his teaching He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So one spirit manifesting in different ways in the people of God. Verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, right? It's for everybody. It's for the church. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing each one according as he wills. Now, I've only read a snapshot of this passage. There's much more in here. It's quite in-depth and quite lovely and quite rich, and I encourage you to go back and read the rest of First Corinthians 12, and then read Corinthians 13, and then go on to read the rest of First Corinthians, and then you can read 2nd... I'm sorry, keep going. Just keep reading the Bible, and you'll be good. So this is just one list among many lists in the New Testament of the gifts. It's just a stamp, there's several places with samplings. Uh, by my count, there's more than 20 types of gifts listed in the New Testament. There's quite a lot of different gifts, and actually, I think we can provisionally divide them into three categories. And I don't. This is super provisional. There are for every scholar or writer who thinks about the spiritual gifts, they each have their own special way of carving up the pie. Uh, so. Just take this as convenient and just recognize the Spirit does what He wills, and my categories don't control what the Spirit wants to do. How's that? So here are the, bra- the main things. I think there's actually three. I've listed them in, in green there. There's three broad categories of gifts. I think there are... I'm going to use some theater imagery. There's some background gifts, and there are some foreground gifts, and there are some spotlight gifts, okay? All of them happen on the same stage but some of them are just setting the stage for everything else, some of them appear to have a kind of forward-looking business, and some of them at moments have the spotlight right on them, they're really bright and visible. Uh, but one gift is not necessarily better than another. So um, I'm gonna go through these and they're gonna show up on the screen. Don't, this is one of these things where don't worry about getting it all down, okay? Just, just, just let it wash over you, and if anything sticks, let that go. So we have some background gifts, like the gift of mercy. A gift that says I have compassion for the needs of other people, the physical need. The gift of helps, a gift that wants to assist people um, as they do their work. A gift of giving, which means that I have, I have material resources that I see as belonging to someone else for other purposes. I, I don't own, I have a gift of not owning my stuff, right? It just gets transferred on. The gift of faith, which is a kind of confidence, a confidence unique among others that it, it's not difficult to trust in God. A gift of pastoring. Uh, where you have, in the same way that mercy cares for people's physical needs, pastoring cares for people's spiritual needs and is eager to check up on others. There's a gift of administration, which isn't bookkeeping. Administration is recognizing that resources can be purposed for certain ends. I can see that this thing can go here to serve these people in this way. And so you make connections. It's lovely. It's lovely. Uh, the discernment of spirits, this is the spiritual um, capacity to judge what's going on in people's lives and recognize there's things happening, and as a background gift, the gift of tongues, which may, some of you may already be thinking, wait, isn't that more kind of spotlight? No, it's actually just, I think we'll talk more about this in a minute. I think tongues is in the background. Okay, uh, next to this are some foreground gifts, like the gift of preaching which is foreground because one person is standing in front of the group and talking. There's a kind of elevation, the gifts of teaching. You have to stand with some authority in front of the church and and instruct. There's gifts of leadership, where every small group leader and every ministry leader has some gifts in leading. There's the gift of evangelism, where out front people are taking risks to lead other people to the gospel. And these foreground gifts perhaps have a measure of publicity and of risk and of... um, there's, well, high risk, right? Not many of you should presume to be teachers, for we will be judged more harshly. Um, if you mess up with these gifts, you hurt a lot more people. There's more risk. And then there are some spotlight gifts. The spotlight appears, and there's a danger in the spotlight gifts. Gifts like healings, people get made well, pretty obvious. Gifts like miracles, things unexplainable things happening, and gifts like public prophecies. Now the spotlight gifts are the most dangerous because we are tempted to attend to the gift rather than attend to where the Holy Spirit is wanting us to point to the gift. Remember when people get healed in the New Testament, people go, wow, he got healed. And the apostles are like, yeah, it's Jesus. (laughs) They always deflect up to Jesus. They don't focus on what happened to the person and we can fall into these traps. Now one of the things that happens in the church with the Spirit is that we get our categories mixed up. Okay. We take spotlight gifts and we try to degrade them because we think, oh, these aren't as important. Or we take the background gifts and we try to force them into the spotlight. I think this happens with tongues, where you think, you know, if you really, if you really, really believed in Jesus, you know you'd speak in tongues, right? And those of you who do, you've got it. And those of you who don't, we're praying for you, okay? So you can create like strata of what's going on in these things. And it's weird, but you know what? Paul says, the same spirit, it's all for the common good. What they all? They're all tools, tools for the service of the community. And if anyone has a specific propensity in the gift, who's the gift for? It's for your neighbor. It's not for me. that's how some of these things work. So the division's helpful for a few reasons. Hopefully I've just outlined some of them. Now, I want to stress that everyone has a share in all of the gifts. I'll say that again. This is complex. This may be hard for you to imagine for a minute. I think every one of us has a share. These aren't all the gifts. There's more. Every one of us has a share in every one of these gifts. Now, maybe some of the best examples of this are things like evangelism, giving, and teaching. Um, None of you can say, every one of you has a responsibility to evangelize. Only some of you are gifted in evangelism. You can't say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I I don't have to tell anybody about my faith. In the same way that you wouldn't say, you know, I don't have the gift of giving, so I don't need to tithe. Now, there are people who are gifted at givers. Why are they gifted? They're gifted so they can lead us in our giving. There are people who are gifted in evangelism. Why are they gifted? They're gifted so they can lead us to be better evangelists. There are people who are gifted as teachers. What's their job? To lead us to be better at instructing our friends, our family, in the places we have. Not everyone's gifted, but we each have a responsibility in each of these gifts. And when I say that we all have access to the gifts, I mean it. We have access to all of them. So let me say this very clearly. If the full power of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead is present in you. The full and complete power of the spirit of almighty God rests in you. Then that same power that healed the sick and cast out demons is also present in you. That spirit is in you. You may not be gifted in that ministry, but at any moment, the king of the universe may choose to flex his power through you. And it will never be about you. It'll always be about him and what he wants to do. The question is, are you open to the spirit flexing when he does this stuff? So let me do some summary and give you some final comments this morning. Okay? These are a bit, there's four things I'm going to say. They're a bit scattershot, but I think they hold together. So number one is this, we get sanctified, we get made holy in community. We get sanctified in community. The fruits of the Spirit will manifest when we rely on God to live our faith in community. Now, the model of the Christian life is not me and Jesus hanging out with the feel-good Holy Spirit in our private devotional life. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is the Holy Spirit, excuse me, is me living in community with other Christians, having to rely on the Spirit to make it work. I need love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness to get along with you all. And frankly, you needed to get along with me. And so when we live in community, we rely on the Spirit to make that happen, and that's when the fruits begin to manifest. Sanctification isn't about personal holiness so much as it is about the power to live together well. We need to be sanctified so we can be a church. Second comment is this. There's a role of risk in all of this. Uh, One of the ways to get filled afresh with the Spirit, I talked about the three ways last week, but one of the ways is to get out of your depths in service. Is to take a risk. To be obey something for Jesus. And in obeying, get beyond your capacities and your abilities. And when you're at the end of your capacities and abilities, you have to pray, Oh God, help. And he meets you. And he fills you. And he equips you. It's a lovely way to... And we talk about having full hands. Sometimes our hands are full of our own safety and comfort. Call someone else Jesus. I'm quite happy on the couch. Okay. And we get divested of that control, and then we take some risks, and then Jesus meets us in the risks. And this is one of the places you get filled with the Spirit by going out in obedience. Acting in the gifts is risky. If Jesus calls you to have mercy on your neighbor, well, this person's really struggling. I wonder if I should do something. I want to suggest to you that's probably the Holy Spirit nudging you about the gift of mercy, or at very least your, oh, your mandate to mercy whether or not you're gifted you're called to it aren't you no one here gets to say i don't have to give i don't have the gift of mercy i get to be a jerk <laughs> it's not how it works some of you are gifted you get to show us how to be more merciful and we follow you okay third comment i want to talk about the importance of god's word You know, experience is magnificent. Being filled with the Spirit, having wonderful spiritual experiences is joyful. It's enlivening. It's enriching. These things are great. But we also need a baseline to measure our experience. And in the history of the church, that baseline is the Word of God. God's Word provides a baseline for us understanding what He's doing and what He's saying, especially if we begin to think about things like living in the prophetic life and understanding that God continues to speak today. If you're going to know what God's voice sounds like, you have to be reading what it sounds like here. And if you're not reading what it sounds like here, don't expect to know it when he speaks. Don't expect to know the difference between God's voice and something you ate last night. Okay? The Holy Spirit or indigestion. What is it, what is it uh, uh, Scrooge says? There's more of gravy than of grave about you. Right. So he doubts it because of these things. And if you know the Spirit of God, you'll be able to respond to him. And we get that by spending time in the Word. Fourth and finally, I want to say that obedience is a gateway to life in the Spirit. And if you want the gifts, you're going to have to obey the nudges that God gives you. He's nudging you. Even now, he's nudged some of you in this room. He's nud- you saw that list of gifts, and there was a little flash of nudge by the Holy Spirit in you. And you thought, oh, is that really me? and you've been given an opportunity, do I act on it or do I not? George MacDonald says this. He says, obedience is the opener of eyes. If you want to see, you have to obey. If you want to see more of God, you have to obey. And when he nudges, you have to respond. And so there's all sorts of whispers God can give you, like you should check up on that person, right? You know that resource you've got laying around? You should give it away. You've heard it. You've felt it right? This person may need your help. Have you prayed for your neighbor? Have you asked your coworker what their plans are for the afterlife? I mean, there's all sorts of ways where the Spirit can nudge you, okay? And you may need to learn how to obey. The more you obey, the more God nudges, and the more God nudges, I think the more gifts he's going to give to you in these things. Um, I was reading, reading this very morning, I was reading in the book of Exodus about Moses at the burning bush and I was struck by something. So Moses is there, he walks by, he sees this bush burning but not consumed, and he says, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And verse 4 is so striking. When the Lord saw that Moses, he he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. In other words, God wasn't going to call him unless Moses noticed first. He had to respond to that. that's interesting. What's God doing over here? And when God saw that Moses was interested, he spoke to him. And I want to suggest that God is nudging you too. Maybe not with burning bushes, although he could be quite extreme. I do want to say to you that the louder God's voice, the more extreme the obedience required. If he shouts, you don't get any choices. If he whispers, you can, you can kind of negotiate, but learn to listen. Okay. I can talk about this very briefly for myself. Uh, my own call to preaching happened when Liesl and I were in a church service, and our ministers, uh, one of our ministers stood up and said, you know, we have a preaching ministry to a retirement home, and we need preachers to sign up and join us in helping this ministry. And I leaned over to Liesl. We were freshly married, and I said, I might like to try that. Would you pray with me about it? And I, I, th- I remember the look she gave me. She went, you what? Like, she, she gave me a pretty startled look, and we prayed about it and felt good about it, and I signed up, and I went to the Plum Landing Retirement Home in Aurora, Illinois, and I preached to a group of 11 to 13, 80-year-old women and one guy. Um, and you know what? I came alive. It was in, I felt, I've never felt more alive than that wacky Sunday. I didn't under, they didn't understand me. I didn't know what I was doing. But I was nudged, and I said yes. And the Lord has opened many doors because of that yes. And so he's similarly nudging you this morning and throughout your week in life, and I want to encourage you when the Spirit nudges you to say yes. Now, if you're not sure if it's the Spirit, speak to a close spiritual friend, right? Speak to someone who knows you well and also knows the Spirit. Consult the community. You're not on your own with this stuff. We've got all of us together to figure these things out. So, brothers and sisters, you have the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. Seek to be filled by him. Seek to be filled so that those gifts will, excuse me, the fruits will manifest in your life and community, and when he prompts you, obey, so that the gifts will be poured out in our fellowship for the service of one another and the advancing of his kingdom.